podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the LFC Day Trippers. It is Monday night. It is time for another fun episode of Winners and Losers. I am your fill-in host, Matt. I'm joined tonight by Davo and Kev. Gav, of course, is under the weather. If you were watching on the Fatback 4 last night, he was uh, he was pretty hurting, so he's taking the night off. And I believe Phil is out burning all of his Chicago Bears gear because that's uh, that's a joke of a team right there. So, I'm filling in for the evening, and uh, we're gonna have a good one. So, Davo, how are you? Long time. Good, yeah. Oh, good. Always, always good to come on after a win, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it makes things this that much better. I mean, Kev, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We were doing this about (laughs) 24 hours. (laughs) Yeah, but in fairness, last season is still fresh in the memory. Where like you're just gonna, I'm just enjoying all of these wins now, enjoying all the performances as well. So yeah, it's it's, I may continue because it's just we are. We're we're hitting the straps at the minute. You know, it's not the case that we're winning games. We're looking good doing it. Exactly. And enjoy it. I mean, don't uh, don't let these days pass you by because before you know it, you end up having a season like last year and you end up regretting not enjoying the good times while they're there because you're currently in the good times. But let's get right into it. Kev, we're going to come to your loser first. Speaking of good times, Jermaine Genus has had a pretty good time, hasn't he? I, I, I really don't know a lot about it. I don't watch a lot of the pregame, postgame stuff. I don't get access to match of the day and stuff like that over here in Canada. So Fill me in on exactly why Jermaine Genus is your loser of the week. But this was literally nothing. There's nothing to do with him being a pundit or anything like that. This was literally to do with a tweet that he put throughout there during the uh, the North London derby in reference to a decision from a referee and how he how he decided that this was the, the hill to die on on this decision is beyond me. And is that like he, he put out a tweet? And tore into the referee, right? And at the end of the day, he did what basically most of us do. If you're on Twitter and you're watching the game at the same time, and but the difference is we're not paying, being paid by the license fare by everybody in the UK to pontificate about football. You know, we're just shooting shit and what have you. But he does it, and it's a big deal. And the thing is, I think about three or four weeks beforehand, he was a spokesman for a charity that was designed to um, there's bring try you know respect for referees and people have to check their emotions and fans have to do better and players have to be better and they have to be more restrained and this and that and here he is a few weeks later tearing into a referee for a, the most straightforward handball decision you'll ever see in your life saying that they're ruining the game and start calling them names left right and center he got pulled up on a straight away by the there's a, a refereeing charity on social media that tends to jump on the, to the defense of every referee in the country, no matter what. So they go to the other extreme of it. But then you had a load of other people piling in saying, look, this is you're just being a pure hypocrite here. And he is. He's just been an absolute pure hypocrite because he would have been on the cheerleading bandwagon for the likes of Klopp to get his ban and to get his ban extended. And players to get banned for talking to referees and having a pop and what have you, getting on Andy Robertson's case over the linesman last year. And he's no better. He's no different than anyone else. And he's he's there a few weeks later doing it himself. You know, is I I got a real beam. I got a real fucking. I got a really. Thick is, the, is the tweet still up, Kev? And he's left it. Yeah, he's left it up. And he's, and he's well, up look, I I'd, I'd, I'd give him a slight bit of credit for that. Anyway, at least isn't. Oh yeah. Delayed. He didn't delete it, and he's come out tonight with the apology because I'm sure his agent has been in his ear and said, yeah. look, if you still want this BBC gig next year, yeah, put in your little apology. No, the apology is meaningless because it's, it's like that. He would have been aware of what he did within half an hour of checking mm. his phone again. You know, his phone was hopping. because You can mm. see by the replies that this tweet just blew up. So it's it's taken in the bones of 24 hours to come, out, come up with this apology. That's by the by. But when you look at the amount of pundits that are across various TV networks, be it in Canada for you, Matt, in Ireland for us, Stavo, 
on our national TV stations, as well as the ones that are paid for, the quality of the pundits when it comes to talking about decisions that are made by referees on the pitch and their ability to interpret those decisions is so bad that it's almost like it's deliberate because they need to create a controversy in the post-match to talk about a discussion or to have a discussion point over a simple decision. When all it needs is for someone to know the rules and say, look, yeah, the ball came off his foot and onto his hand. That shouldn't be a handball. Referee made a mistake. Yeah, okay, I agree with you. There's no shouting match in that because that's what the rule is. Or the other one, which is what happened with Northland and Derry, shot went hand there. There's an unnatural position away from your body, and it's stopping the ball going into damn ball. It's a blatant handball. And the only thing that saved his bacon and the fact that there wasn't a red card was Basuma was on the line behind him. But that's not you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know this. And these guys are paid six-figure salaries, and they don't know it. I'm convinced they don't know it now because they can't be this stupid and this ignorant for this long. So I don't think they're playing the ignorant card. I just think they're they're that they just don't get it. They don't know. They haven't got a clue. And that the the you know week in week out, season in season out, we as paying customers are we have to put up with this shit. It, It drives me fucking insane after a while. Yeah, you know. There's little things, small little things, bug the shit out of me. And people like him bug the shit out of me. Robin and living. Yeah. I mean, do you think it has anything to do, uh, Gavel, with the fact that it seems like every year the handball rule gets slightly tweaked? And it's like, it's understandable for people like us. You know, we're casuals. We, you know, we come on, we talk about Liverpool, we all watch the game and stuff like that to maybe not understand the ins and outs of it. But like, Surely you expect the pundits, like Kev saying, guys that are taking big salaries off of national broadcasters to actually understand what the rules are, right? Yeah, well, look, they have to look. They have to read it up on. I didn't realize, like Kev mentioned today. I think Kev mentioned the the Luton one. They come off the player's leg and onto his hand, and I assumed that wasn't the rules. So that's not a penalty, but it's not in the rules. There's nothing in the rules about about if it hits off your any other part of your body and hit your hand, if your hand is still in a natural position, it's still meant to be a penalty. Now, I don't think that's a penalty. I think that's crazy. But it's more, I was I was, I was, was under the impression that that's not a penalty in the rules, when that's not the case. But then, as Kev said, these fellas are getting six for, six for their salaries. Do some, do some research. Genesis is a fucking totally unlikable fucking pundit. And this carry-on from him is just, for me anyway, just a case of the mask slipping a bit. You know what I mean? He's a, he's a sports fan. Well, listen. Look, he played for Spurs, played for Forest, played for Newcastle. They all, they, they all go with their their old clubs. Not more than uh, ex Liverpool players do at Liverpool, but like to be involved in a campaign, as as one of the comments was there earlier, uh, which is one of the first replies I seen was tweet was someone putting up like three pictures of. Uh, tr- uh, like a transcript of what he said in this ad. It was an ad or a program about. Um, it was an ad. About that, yeah, about an ad for the referees, and basically then a picture of him standing there looking like an Egypt, and then that's one of the first replies to like his tweet. Basically, he called them a shit house, didn't he? Like, yeah, and fucking shit house referees ruining our game, and like I, like it's it's good to disagree in this, but I, yeah, I, uh, I think Kev is fucking bang on. It's an absolutely nailed on handball that's going on target. Yeah. And if Basuma is a yard to the left, he's probably getting sent off as well for a denying of a goal scoring opportunity. Like, like pick, pick, like pick your poison. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's other hills to die on, and, and that handball uh, the other day was definitely not. And the rules, look, listen, you're going to get subjectivity every season. Like we, I'm still fucking, I'm still pissed off over when we didn't get a, a, the Emirates last year against Arsenal. Uh, the Saliba one, I, th- I think that's a disgrace, but. As fans, the Man United fans were. I've seen a lot of United fans on about Dermot Gallagher doing that Sky Sports thing. The ref watch. He was basically he couldn't really. He was trying to differentiate between uh, Romero's handball and the North London derby and the one against United when there really was no. There was no defending the one uh, against United. They should have had a penalty United uh, against Spurs that one. And yeah, dealing with humans, it's subjective. We all jump up and down and piss them on. And that's going to continue because yeah, it's it's subjective. Yeah. That, that's it, really. 
the other thing is on the. I was going to say the other thing on the on why he saw he was so angry. Apparently, is because the ref took eleven different times he looked at it, and they come out with this line: "Oh, clear and obvious, clear and obvious, clear and obvious." That's a lot of bullshit. That line should be removed from the vocabulary of every person who ever appears talking on television about football because it was literally a line that was used at the very, very beginning before it was even introduced when they described how we want VAR to intervene in games. We just wanted to bring it in for the clear and obvious mistakes. And from that day, those three words have been used to the nth degree to justify everything. And it's, it's nonsense. I think Yamanda used to play for Liverpool, Stephen Warnock. He's on that ref watch with him. And a couple of weeks ago, he made the point that those three words should be banned and it should be a case of right or wrong. Did you get the decision right? Yes or no? If you got it wrong, change it. If you got it right, leave it alone. But come out after and justify it. You know, and everyone in everyone and their dogs would be the happier for it if they just come out and say, look, I made this decision because of this. Here's the video. This is what I think. And there you go. The case is closed. The discussion's over after that. You can disagree with them all you like and call them every name under the sun. But at least if they come out after and say, look, I didn't, I gave a handball for this reason and I didn't send them off for this reason. You can like it or lump it after that, but at least you know. Yeah. Yeah. Owen Burke here with a comment to ring what you were saying there, Davo. It says Michael Oliver didn't give that penalty at the Emirates last season, but gave one for the exact same offense a week later. And uh, Madge Apple says, uh, Genus is impossible to take seriously. He commits the cardinal sin of being both biased and boring. He should stick to the banality of the one show. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's an awful show. <laughs> awful show. That's, I'm lucky I don't that have would to almost turn with, you, uh, That would almost turn you into an Emmer, to someone who watches Emmerdale. That's how you. Seven o'clock, and you're like, e, 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 it's a tough decision. Now, so unfortunately, that one show gets a, a couple of FA Cup draws a year. So. I might stick it oh. on to watch the draw, but it's so bad. Yeah. Well, there's nothing I... more exciting than a good cup draw. But I mean, there's a little chat going on here uh, in the comments of just people going back and forth over, you know, what should be done with the handball rule. And it's, it's so hard because like, uh, I think it was bonkers LFC just says like, make it simple. If it hits your hand, it's a handball. Then you get people coming back with the obvious of every, like James Milne says, every forward will try to have the ball mm. hit the defender in the hand. The Luis Suarez. Yes tactic of just i'm gonna kick it at your hand sadio 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 money sadio in the champions league final yeah like that it's 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 hard you can't just have it be black and white in terms of if it hits your hand anywhere it's a handball and if it's in the box then it's a penalty because you'll just end up with like the season that bruno fernandez scored you know 20 goals or whatever it was and he had 12 penalties for just ridiculously soft handballs but I think it can be pretty black and white in terms of bringing it back to Jermaine Genus of if you're going to be commentating and pundit, a pundit on TV, you have to try at least a little bit to put your fan side just away. You know, like he wasn't caught on a live mic saying this stuff. He typed it up on his phone and then hit send. You know, you had a second there, Jermaine, to just go, ah, shit, I probably shouldn't send that. Like, there's been plenty of things that I have written out on my phone and went, it's not worth the hassle. Just delete, 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 delete. And I, I feel that's that this is going to be one of those things for him. And, uh, yeah, he, he might take a little bit of a kicking for a while. It's uh, not certainly been a good couple of days yeah. for him. But, uh, Dab, we'll come to you for your winner, uh, somebody that's had a, a, a pretty good year just about now, Roberto Deserbi. Yeah, yeah, look, uh, like, it was more so, do you know what, it was more, he's been absolutely brilliant since he came in, um, anyone that's watched him, like, it's it's total football, they play out from the back, they don't get uh, disheartened, they'll keep trying to play, keep trying to play, as the first goal showed yesterday, when that goalkeeper gets caught in it straight away and it ends up in the net, but as, as yesterday kind of pointed out with, like, with management, Unfortunately for us, being Irish, he took Evan Ferguson off a half-time replacement with Matoma, who goes on to score after 16 seconds into the second half. And that is really like, you're the winner of the weekend when that happens. You really are as a manager. Then they go on to win the game. Uh, he says after, then it's the worst they've played since he came in. But I really think they've had the, I, I, I heard today in a pod that it's the uh, 
the best start for a non-Big Six team since 2006. So that's knocking on 20 years. Well, heading towards 20 years, anyway, fairly quick. Um, five wins out of six. Uh, did a disappointing result on Thursday. I think everyone would have expected them probably to win against AEK Athens, but it's in Europe. Europe can be Europe is different, and it can take you a bit of time to get used to. Do you know what I mean? Even for uh, very technically sound teams, but he's like to, to bounce back like that to get a win. Substitute, uh, he puts on scores after 16 seconds, then gets a second one. Matoma was really, really, really good. Jesus Christ, he's frightening when he's in full flow. But yeah, for the Zerbi since he came in, uh, he does. He actually all the talk about rotating goalkeepers. He rotates his goalkeepers three and six games, three for one, three for the other. Um, wouldn't be a fan of that myself, but just like he's really, really just a breath of fresh air. Total football encourages his keeper to keep playing. Like that goal that uh, I was talking about yesterday, makes a balls of it. The goalkeeper yesterday, bad, yeah. but then really bad. Keeps playing out. Keeps playing out. Similar to Guardiola, Valdez, all them years ago and won the Clasicos. Makes a balls of it. Tells him to keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. And then references him after the game, saying he kept playing out, made us win the game. Forget about the goal. So, brilliant. It's, look, the old adage, I wonder can they hang on to him or how long they can hang on to him for. But, yeah, def, definitely my winner of the weekend. Yeah, well, he just uh, – the game on the weekend was his 38th game in charge of Brighton. So that's a full season's worth. He's mm. got 19 wins, 7 draws, 12 losses. That's a total of 64 points. Last season, Brighton mm. finished on 62 points. So that's mm. that's top six form over the course mm. of a full season. And 79 goals for, 56 goals against. That's two goals for, a goal and a half against a game. I, I mean, that's – he's a quality, quality manager. There's no uh, doubt about that. Where did that comment go that somebody had here? Ah, oh, and again, it's, uh, it says, am I mad thinking that Deserby wouldn't do as good a job at a much bigger club? Like, what are your thoughts on that, Dav? Or is he one of the ones that you uh, think of when you have to contemplate the idea of what comes after Klopp for Liverpool? Listen, I, uh, listen, I don't know as regarding coming in at Liverpool. I'd like to uh, someone kind of tried and tested in Europe. So see how he gets on in uh, the next couple of years. But... Yeah, listen, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be jumping up and down, kicking and screaming, trying to uh trying to toys out of pram if he got the job now. Because listen, you know you're gonna be looking at good football week in, week out. Um listen, he's got a he's got a lot of support there at Brighton. I think they're particularly I, I, I can say probably their South American scouting is probably the envy of uh of a lot of clubs, if if not most clubs, uh, around Europe because they're picking up these bargains and selling them on. They've got uh They've got a really good uh, structure in place, really, really good. But listen, listen, he's experienced. He's he's managed obviously in the, I think it was Sassuolo, wasn't it in the, in Syria? Then he went to Russia, yeah. I think, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, he Shakhtar. went to Russia. Yeah, or Shakhtar, yeah, sorry. And then yeah. he's in England now. So look, he's 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 plenty of experience. I, just like I said about Liverpool, I don't know. It's it's a it's a really hard question to be thinking about uh, what's got what it's going to be like in three more seasons when. Uh, Klopp is no longer with us, but yeah, listen, brilliant, brilliant football to watch, brilliant football to watch, and um, yeah, look, I, I don't, or Matt, I don't want to be thinking about that. Don't, don't be bringing me down after that win the weekend. No. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Kev, there's no denying that uh, Deserby's done a great job, but I mean, it was big shoes to fill. Like Grant Potter done an excellent job at Brighton, and you know he looked like the next kind of up and coming, you know, English manager, and. I mean, talk about a sliding doors moment. Uh, Chelsea comes with the big bag and he goes off to Stamford Bridge and is gone shortly thereafter. And Deserby comes in and not only keeps the train going, but actually takes Brighton up another level. And I mean, yeah. Jonathan asked the question, is, is it Brighton making the managers good or are the managers making Brighton good? And I, obviously the behind the scenes things like Dabo was saying at Brighton, they've got the structure they have, I mean, is very solid. But Cart before the horse or chicken before the egg, I guess, this question? No, I think it's the manager, um, purely and simply, because if the players don't buy into the manager or if they, as you've seen, and the, the main culprits for this are Chelsea, that Chelsea dressing room have sacked more managers than anyone else. And Manchester United is not far behind. That Manchester United dressing room is another one that can get managers sacked. Some of the top-end managers in world football, they've managed to get them binned off out the door. 
the manager has to get the buy-in of the players and they all have bought in. The amount of times I've talked to Joe from uh, Brighton Obsessed, from Albion Obsessed about the Zerbu and the fans love him. The fans are up in arms, delighted with him. The thing is, you've got to look at it. He's he's had seven clubs in eight, in eight years and when you looked I remember, listen, I was actually watching something tonight. It was um, Simon, what's his face, on TalkSport, and Graham Sooners. Yeah, it was a clip between Simon Jordan and Graham Sooners when he was appointed. And Sooners made the comment, "This this is a really huge gamble because what has the guy actually done? You know, when you look at his body of work before he turns up at Brighton, yeah, he was flying at Shakhtar Donetsk, but look, at Shakhtar Donetsk in the Ukraine League. They're going to dominate. Sasulo, yeah, he did really well and got him promoted and what have you, but, you know, so, so. You know, sides are coming up from Serie B and looking all right in Serie A. They always have done. You go back before that, he was at Benevito, he was at Palmero, and then he's at, like, you know, fodder clubs. He doesn't have a body of work to suggest that he's capable of doing what he's doing. And yet he's he's doing it. And he's got some really experienced players and real up-and-coming talent all singing off the same hymn sheet, all with the buy-in. So there's more to this than just a manager being in the right place at the right time and having really good players to work with. There's much more to it than that. The way he plays is phenomenal to watch. Um, must be really difficult to play against. We found out last season we tore us apart. Didn't we? Yeah. I mean, we got mm. points off them last year, but they tore us apart in both games. Mm. You know, and we 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 fluked the a draw in the first game and got torn apart in the second one. And I, I don't know what he's going to do after this. Uh, maybe this is the perfect storm and everything is working as good as it possibly could do at a club where you still have to pinch yourself. To this is Brighton and Hove Albion. This isn't like an Aston Villa or a club who's been there, been at the top of the mountain, and they're going to try and rebuild and do it again. This is Brighton. You know, Brighton are a club that would have, if you'd have said a decade ago to somebody, in 10 years' time, lads, Brighton are going to be in Europe. They're going to be third place in the Premier League, and they look like they can stay there. They'd have taken you and drug tested you because, like, that's just not normal. That doesn't happen. You know, this is kind of a Leicester thing. You know, when Leicester went from Nigel Pearson to Claudio Ranieri to winning the league, everyone was like, how did that happen? Well, there's multitudes of reasons for it. But the difference between this side and that Leicester side, that Leicester side found a way of playing counter-attacking football and had a striker who was on form and was brilliant. <coughs> and they became really hard to beat. This Brighton side looked like they're playing some of the best football, most attacking, open attractive football as you're likely to see from anyone in Europe. And it's a toss of a coin. They can lose they can lose games like they did against West Ham. And they lost a couple last season as well where they got absolutely spanked. And then they can do what they did at the weekend. Come from behind against Bournemouth, having lost in Europe in their very first game ever in Europe. To be able to come back from that loss with the expectation and the build-up that would have been around that game, to go 1-0 down, and show balls to come back and win it again. That's phenomenal. That is absolutely phenomenal. And I think this, the length of the season, the congestion of the season will probably hurt them in the end. But it won't be for a want to try and that they'll try to get back into Europe by their league position again next season. They're a side I would hate to play in Europe if they got into knockout football because hmm. they could be a right handful. Yeah, he's... Uh... He's doing he's doing good thing. I mean that that result I think on Thursday it certainly took me by surprise. I I was expecting them to pretty easily be able to handle AK Athens, and you don't know what goes on with the players in their heads. You know, for some of them it would be their first taste of Europe. You'd hope that having senior guys like Adam Lalonde and James Milner being in there to help them keep their heads screwed on straight, but we'll have to see how they bounce back after that. And then of course we got them in what two weeks? I think we uh, we yeah. go away to Brighton. So yeah, yeah, and I. I brought up the question of replacing Klopp, but I mean, little rumors coming out today that there might be a possibility of Klopp signing another extension. I uh, I don't care that it's from a very unreliable source. It is good news, so I am just going to presume. There was an extension correct. announced today already. There was a nice extension <laughs> announced today already. Chris Brack is in the chat. Chris is delighted. Chris Chris yes, sent me this uh, big list, a big long string of emojis 
and uh, give texts on WhatsApp when it was announced tonight. He's just like ecstatic. He didn't know what to. The words just wouldn't come out of his mouth. He was that emotional about Costa Simicas extending his contract at Liverpool. Yeah, he just didn't know yeah. what to say. We could save that for our, uh, our our Phil Casey quick fire round at the end of the show there because that's uh, that came kind of came out of absolutely nowhere. But Kev, you got a nice winner for me, and this is one that I'm very happy that you brought up because a couple weeks ago you uh, you gave your winner of the week to Joe Gomez, and we're uh, kind of slated for it by the host at the time. I think that has <laughs> aged rather well, calling Joe Gomez the winner of the week because he's gone on to have a couple of good performances in a row, but. Your winner, your winner of the week this week. Who you got? Darren Nunes. Oh, it's. I mean, the thing is, it looks like the pennies finally dropped with him. You know, um, he looks. He looks phenomenal, doesn't he? He he just looks at home in the nine. He looks like he's bought into the defensive side of the game. He looks like he gets it. He looks like he knows where to be and when to be there. And he looks like he wants to do it. That's the whole thing for for a number nine for me, for the way Klopp, you look at how Klopp wants to set up. You have to want to do it. It has to become second nature. And it looks like it, looks like it is. I still can't get over that second goal. When we talked about the, in the post-match, I was like, that's still the best goal I've seen this season. There's been better goals, but for me, that is that was a beautiful goal. The beautiful finish, composure. Did you watch that. the just, uh, every angle thing that yeah. the Liverpool social media? Oh, yeah, it's, from every it, angle, gorgeous. He just gives us that X factor that we don't have from any of the other strikers. I mean, I think the five the five forwards that we have at the club are really good, and they're all different in their own way. They're all unique and offer different things in their own way. But he is the one that offers you the, the pace, the power, the strength. And now it looks like the touch and the technique and the composure to sniff out a chance. I mean, you say that, and then he goes and he plucked his lines before that and missed an absolute sitter. But in general, his, his general overall play is just improving game after game after game after game. You know, I, I, was, I was doubtful at the start of the season if he would, you know... Everyone talks about the second season, second season syndrome. The thing that he had at Benfica, he came in, he had a rough start, and the second season he blew it away. The Portuguese league is a different league. You know, to be able to come in the second season of the Premier League, after most managers have seen you, and they think they've worked you out, to come in and start doing what he's doing is a bit special. You know, yeah, I, I I can't wait to see where he goes with it for this season. But look, the signs are promising. Signs are absolutely yeah. promising. Yeah, we're getting some uh, some help from the chat here with some stats. Rondo Red says Nunes has got four goals in six games, which means he could finish with twenty five. It's I I don't think that's out of the question at all. And uh, resident Costa Simicast fan club president Chris Brack says Darwin averages a goal every one hundred and forty one minutes. By context, Salah's at one hundred and thirty four. Torres one thirty five. Suarez one thirty eight. Daniel Sturridge one hundred and forty. And Darwin is a goal or an assist every one hundred and seven minutes. The lad is producing. I mean, Davo, I'm presuming you're pleasantly surprised with uh, Darwin's second season start so far. But is there one part of his game that's surprised you the most? Listen, I'm actually not surprised, to be honest with you. I actually thought he had a good season last year for a fella coming in to a big club uh, for a big fee, the language barrier. Um, I Listen, I get loads wrong all the time, plenty wrong about football, but I had me, I had me colours nailed to the mass with Darwin pretty much straight away. I think he's brilliant. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah, look, Kev was right, defensive side of the game. Uh, was something, and I think that was. I think a lot of it probably was down to the language barrier, learning about what you needed to do and uh, and whatnot. I was at the Fulham game in May. That was a thoroughly, absolutely, disgracefully bad game, but he wins us the game. He um, he runs the channels well. He defended from the front, brilliant, and he. You remember, we get a penalty, he closes down the Fulham centre back, wins it off, him, and your man ends up volleying him up in the air for a penalty. Um, wins us the game. So I'm. 
listen, I'm not surprised. I was expecting it. I'm, I'm, I'm glad it's, I'm glad it's coming to fruition. Because I think he's, I think he's just, I think he's captain chaos. But I think that's a good thing. I don't want that that to come across as like, ah, oh, listen, he doesn't really know what he's doing, so he just gets in there amongst it and all that. He's like the 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 build up playing the halfway line, um, turns to give the ball to Diaz for the penalty is excellent, and it's probably something he wasn't doing last year. And I might bounce off him and. Uh, defender pick it up or a midfielder picks it up. He turns away well, and he gets it to Diaz, and then and then continues on his run. Sprints in, ball's not great in Diaz. Manages to stick a leg out the way to the mouth. We get a penalty. Um, I think he he probably the sitter that he misses. He probably he hits too well. He probably needs to scuff that a bit because it's just wide. He should score. Look, there's no there's no doubt about it. He should score. But when you see a certain angle of it, it's a really true strike that he probably just needs to scuff a bit and it goes in. And then I'm with Kev. That finish is absolutely out of this world. And I think if you played a bit of football, even down the Astroretten like that, a ball coming over your shoulder like that, coming down and you trying to control the finish like that at the highest level as well, it's uh it's it was I thought it was absolutely fucking quality. And yeah, I'm delighted. I'm, I'm delighted and I was expecting it. I'm a big fan of his, big, big fan of his. And that's not to say there's games where he, he looks and he's going to drop out. And listen, there might be games where things go astray from a little bit with his build up play and stuff that he, he obviously still have to work at that. But um, yeah, a de- absolutely definite winner of the weekend. I was delighted Kev picked him, to be honest. Yeah, as was I. I mean, we, uh, Kev, uh, Luke, and I recorded a preseason uh, preview show, which I don't even think ever got released, did it, nope. Kev? It, never. Probably. Never. Probably. We don't, we don't need best. to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, on on that show, I I I had big big hopes for Darwin Nunez this year. Like, I really thought he was gonna have a massive breakout season, but I thought he would take a little longer to get in. Because I really highly rate Gakpo, and I think Gakpo's probably been our most disappointing player this season so far. Not that he's been bad, but he just wasn't as good as he looked when he came in in last January. Like, I thought he fit into the team so well when we were really struggling last year. And then this year, you know, he was deployed in midfield for the first two games, which obviously isn't his natural position. And then Darwin came in and he got his chance. And I mean, those two goals against Newcastle have just proved to be this insane springboard for him, where now it seems like it is, without question, He's the go-to guy. Like, you know, if you if we've got a cup final to play next weekend, I think he's starting up front for for Jurgen Klopp that he's gonna get that pick for him. So I I'm beyond happy to see that. But it's it's the things off the ball, like the chasing back, being back to cover uh, you know, in the right back position. He did that yesterday at one point, just in the middle of the game. Like it wasn't really a, a massive turning point or anything like that. But it was just really good to see our number nine getting back in there. And it got me into thinking that he might even be benefiting from Trent not being in the team. Because having Trent there, he was like last season, he was trying to play off of the shoulder. You know, he was always looking to get in behind because Trent could play that long ball at any moment. But without having Trent there and knowing that he's got a guy like Gakpo that can come and take his spot because Gakpo is more capable of dropping in providing that link up play, you know, being more that Bobby Firmino sort of style forward and helping out with the defensive work that he, he knows that he has to pick up that slack that he can't just be this Ferrari that goes screaming after these long balls down the wing. And the team has kind of had to adapt without Trent, which I was very concerned about. We've done extremely well. And yeah, Darwin is just absolutely at the heart of that. And Rondo read with another good comment here. He says, seems Mo is really understanding Darwin's style now that he's become an assist machine. And you saw that in preseason, like Mo, I think he had three or four assists for Darwin in preseason and they were all the same Darwin making a left to right run, you know, angled run across the box, Mo with the ball at his feet, making that little slide rule pass in for Darwin to run onto with his right foot, very much like the pass and run that he makes against Newcastle for the winner. So yeah, it's uh it's very, very yeah, one of those yesterday as well. Yeah. 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 They, 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 yeah, yeah one of those well yesterday. And look, yeah. listen, like Gakpo came in, uh, in January that time, and we were we were really in a row, and people were saying, "What have we signed here again?" I, I liked what I saw with him. I particularly liked yeah. how he could drop in and turn, and had lots of pace, really, really quick at the ball as feet. Then we start improving, and it clicks from, and he's a great end of the season. He had a good preseason. Matt mentioned that he's in midfield then for a couple of games, probably taken away from. There'll be swings and roundabouts. Like Gakpo might fall away, or uh, Darwin might fall away for a couple of games. Gakpo comes in, finds a bit of form. Diaz has started well. Jota comes on, gets a goal. 
there's plenty of games for these fellas, and I would have no worries about Gakpo either. I, I think he'll he'll find he'll find his uh, goal scoring and touch soon enough as well. I'd imagine he'll play on Wednesday night uh, against yeah. Leicester Gakpo. Um, but uh, another excellent player, really, really intelligent player. And we've got a lot of games between uh, Europa League and with a bit of luck, we get a win on Wednesday. Stay in that competition as well. And uh, no worries. I think we scored 16, 15 or 16 league goals. And I think the, the front five of 12 or 13 of them. So like it shows you. Um, I heard a, a, a kind of a, a pod preview at the start of the season. And I, was, I think it was a United fan that said, he expected us to be top scorers in the league with the front five that we have, and I'd probably go along with that. I think I think people are kind of starting to see the firepower that, that we have. <laughs> yeah, slowly, eventually, the veil of Liverpool being last season's Liverpool is slipping, and rival fans mm. and you know journalists are starting to go, oh yeah. I was listening to a few podcasts today, and it was like you know we all want to see a title race happen. We don't want to see Man City just trot away and coast to an easy victory is Liverpool the team to push them and it's like yes we we always were it's just everybody thought that Arsenal was going to be the thing uh Sam Tannier says if Nunes had this midfield uh we have now last season he would have scored more goals imagine Torres without Gerrard and Alonso behind him playing passes etc he would have scored less as well too that does have a lot to do with it I mean last year's midfield was (laughs) it it hurt all aspects of our game and you see what happens when you get legs and engine and creativity and drive in there and Dominic Sabah's like and then Kev I mean project 5 a.m he says Marco Biel's is managing Uruguay now and that's going to have a big effect on him too yeah but I just hope that Bielsa uh, realizes that he's an international manager and he doesn't have to run the legs off these guys when he gets them for a couple of weeks you know it's all well and good when you're at Leeds and you want to run the legs off from Ellen Road and do whatever and well, he didn't, in fairness, the last day, months. didn't he? No, I don't know whether that was an injury, but I think he only played him at 45. Yeah, uh, yeah he did. In one of the games, uh, the yeah. second game, the last well, one for Uruguay was good as out. well. So, yeah. yeah. The only one thing I'd say about his goal, the other thing I'd say about his goal, it was the go-ahead goal. Mm. You know, if you score that finish when you're 3-1 up, 4-1 up, and you're cruising, and, you know, you're relaxed, that's one thing. But after he missed his shot, he's like got into a huge giggle. And he's like, I can't believe mm. it. Lads, do you see that? I can't, I actually missed that. Can you believe mm. me? Can you believe it? Like, mm. And then it's it's that kind of composure. Bear in mind the state of the game was one one. You know, we'd we'd done nothing in the game really until then. You know, we were threatening it. But to have that composure to be able to just talk that way, that is such a difficult finish. And that was right. Anyone who's played football at any kind of a level, that ball coming up over your shoulder, to be able to slide that in, it's outstanding, man. I think there's, there's so much to come from it. So much to come from yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I saw on the Liverpool subreddit somebody put together a compilation of his first-time finishes, and I think there's seven, eight, nine goals already of just, bang, one touch and the ball's into the back of the net. And it's not including the two headers he scored against United in the 7-0 when we beat Manchester United 7-0 last year, which I always love mentioning at any given opportunity. But yeah, he is he is some striker. And I, I really like that point, Kev, about because watching that every uh, angle and watching back some of the highlights of his face when he missed, like he's literally laughing at himself. And Dow, we're going to come to you for a loser because uh, we all could use a good laugh. Maurizio Pochettino is your loser of the week. Let's all have a big laugh at Chelsea, shall we? Yeah, listen, it's like where like where do you start? I, I just listen, like the reason he's be loser of the week is a bit due to the fact like he signed up for this. Like he like Pochettino was a manager kind of renowned for looking to work with smaller squads, he's a smaller squad with spores. Um then listen, he's not short of a few quid. Now we obviously wanted to get back into the game, thinks Chelsea's a good opportunity, but like I read last year. I heard somewhere last year. Like they've, they've not. Like they need two dressing rooms. They've, they've an overflow dressing room because they can't get all the first team squad players into into one dressing room. It's fucking a shambles. Like the amount of players they have, um, and then they spend. Kev has got to go into think a bit more detail, but like I think it's, I think it's roughly a billion quid since Clear Lake have come in in three windows that they've spent. Now I know they've recouped. They, they, they tend to sell pretty well. Although, listen, you can. It, that's a diff- it's a different pot altogether about who they're selling to and 
Saudi Arabia in bed with Clear Lake, etc., etc. And uh, what goes with that? Um, it's fucking, it's fairly muddy waters there. But for a manager that, like, like I said there, he generally works with a small group of players, um, small squad of players, sorry, likes them tightening it, um, likes them all pulling in the same direction. When you have that many, when you have that amount of senior pros at the club, you can't keep them all happy. Then the league start coming, the ages start coming, uh, coming out with stuff. Dressing room gets fucking, dressing room gets a bit leaky. Lads aren't happy, fellas who aren't playing are pissed off. And then it all just becomes a big fucking shit show where nobody is pulling in the right direction. Uh, the lads are in the team are happy. The lads are out of the team are pulling in the right direction. Particularly, listen, Chelsea are preview for this going back through before Pochettino with numerous managers. So I just, it's more to the fact I'm kind of scratching my head wondering why he went in there, to be honest with you. Like I said, I wouldn't say he's short of a few quid. Um and he's gone into a job there with like a huge number of senior players, just kind of really like the opposite of what he likes to work with. And ultimately, like it's on his head. He's the manager. He's the one. He's the one on the sideline. Um, if they don't score a goal on Wednesday, they can't have a goal the month competition on their internal uh, channel, uh, Chelsea TV, in the cup. Like it's just it's it's fucking it's shambolic. I think I read that. Um. They've only have they only beaten Barmouth and Luton in the last fucking twenty games or something like that. So so mad stat anyway, or, or it's it's not like there's not too many more after that. I put it that way. Like they've like I think they I think I'm right in that. I think they've only beaten Barmouth and Luton in the last how many games stretching back to last season. I think Enzo Fernandez has only won two games or whatever. So it just but look at some point like the book stops as the manager. And I rate Pochettino, I think he's good. I might be a fool for that, just looking at his, his time at Spurs where he did really well. Um, but I might be proven wrong on that. He mightn't be any good. As in, he mightn't be top, top, top level. Um, but I, I don't know. I basically, I don't know why he took that job because I can't, at this minute, they will improve. They have a lot of injuries, but it's kind of, it, it just strikes me somewhere that I don't think he'll enjoy working really. Well, yeah, I, like- I, I, oh, sorry, Cam. I just want to get this comment in here from Pochettino from a few days ago, where he says, "You have to give time to the lemons. It is a thing that we all believe. They started to work after two years at Tottenham. Today, in my office, I have yellow ones, green ones, different types from Spain, from Italy. I don't want to lie. There is a big box of lemons. Now, I don't know if you call something that is garbage from the manufacturer a lemon over there, but that's the word for it over here. It's like, boy, Mauricio, you should have picked any different fruit. Like lime would have been fine. Oranges, fine. <laughs> Just anything, yeah. yeah. I, I, I need. He doesn't help himself. And one of the uh, wizard is right. They got one game a week. They don't have. And in some ways, it's probably a hindrance to him. I think he could probably benefit. He'd have benefited from a run in Europe, you know, where he could he could play different players, try different things. But he don't. He hasn't made that many changes. If you look at all their starting lineups, the nuts and bolts of that side hasn't changed too much. And that was right. They got a big squad. You know, they sold a load in the summer, got rid of a load of players, but they still got a lot of players in that squad. And if they're only playing one game a week and they're working on a training ground four, five, six days a week to practice, to set a plan together, to beat whoever they're playing at the weekend and they turn around and huff and puff and don't finish the dinner, then you know you have to ask, your question, ask the question, £434.5 million is what they spent this summer in transfer fees. They recouped 254 million or something like that. But still, in all of that transfer spending and bringing in Lavia and all of the drama they made about Caicedo and everything like that, it never crossed their mind to think you got, you bought a striker in Christopher and Kunku. You might need a backup for him just in case. In case he breaks down with an injury. And then all of a sudden, you know, he picks up the worst kind of possible injury you can get. Is a it's a horrible injury for anyone, and he's a really good player. He's a real talented player, and he will make a difference when he finally starts his Chelsea career. Mm-hmm. But at the minute, I watched the highlights of the game and match of the day too um, tonight. 
mm. when it, I, I recorded and watched it. And it's, they created enough chances against Villa. Sterling, um, Jackson, uh, Mudrick, they, they all created chances, but they just can't finish. They don't have the, none of them have the instinct of a striker. You know, Jackson is a winger. He's, they're trying to convert him into being a, being a number nine, but Jackson is a winger. And you can tell in the way he, in the way he, he finishes and the type of finishes he goes for all the time is it's, they're the type of wingers, uh, Finishes the traditional wingers go for. Another thing tonight, Bruno Salter at Chelsea got sacked. The, um, he was one of the coaches. You remember the, the bald headed right back? He took a right? game, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Against yeah, those, yeah. against those in the cup, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he got he, he yeah. got the sack tonight. So he's the he's the first sacrificial lamb mm-hmm. by Todd Bowley to uh, as a shot across the bow to the rest of the squad. That you know things are going to change one way or another. But the problem for him now is. The window's closed, squad to squad. You don't have a striker. And it's it's criminal to almost have spent a billion pounds since taking over the, co- the club. To end up in a situation where <coughs> Lukaku has scored more goals than Chelsea this month. And he was your player. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Erling Haaland he still is, technically, isn't he? He's scored more goals than Chelsea since he signed for Man City. You know? We, we they only got toward, I think they only got 48 goals last season in the league. Haaland's on 44. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, I, I saw a tweet from Domino's Pizza in the UK that says, since Chelsea <laughs> last scored a goal, that they've delivered 900,000 pizzas. And I, I hope they don't score so that they can just keep updating that number like the sign outside of a mcdonald's back in the day i mean, getting a few shouts here that you know bowley should be looking at buying tony but i mean this all goes back because like it's what you were saying Davo. like why did pochettino take this job like like he must have thought that he was the the right man to steer the ship correctly because it was a dumpster fire it, everybody could see that there was issues there like last season Thomas Tuchel got sacked after seven games. So maybe uh, if Pochettino loses the next one, you know, it might be the same thing. Seven games in, time to change the manager. Graham Potter did not get much longer than that, and he was sacked. Like, how, as a man out of work, because I'm pretty sure Pochettino was out of work by that time, Hmm. are you looking at that going like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to go in there. The the problems behind the scene, like, and it goes so well, like your two, your winner and your loser dovetail so nicely because you talk about how solid everything behind the scenes is at Brighton. And it's almost the polar opposite mm. at Chelsea. And it's great because they're playing each other in the League Cup on Wednesday. So, yeah, we did. Yeah, it's the Davo winner, loser. It's the Davo winner, loser derby there. But, like, they do need a striker, but they can't buy one. They probably need a top goalkeeper because they let Kepa go, even though Kepa's not that good. Like, Robert Sanchez made some fantastic saves on the weekend. You know, he really kept them in that game, but like, is it, it's a hiding to nothing, I think, isn't it? Davo? Like it is. Yeah. Unless they go on a big run. Like, like I've said earlier, like his MO was like a smaller squad. He went to PSG who probably have uh, a bigger squad than he's used to working with. That didn't really work from there. Like he's, he's gone to Chelsea now. And the hardest, like one of the hardest things to do in management with your squad at a big club like that is get fellas out, is get fellas out the ways, but because they're probably sitting there on two hundred grand a week, probably minimum, some of them internationals that he doesn't want there, and they're going, well, we're not going anywhere because they're only offering me seventy grand a week over a Fiorentina or whoever, and I'm not going for that. I'm on two hundred grand, I'm on two hundred uh, grand a week here. So it's 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 like the thing that kind of the penny dropping me like maybe this summer when when I was younger when I was a kid you'd see all the Italian teams used to do business with each other and I used to be kind of sitting there going Jesus Christ like you know it never sell to Liverpool or Arsenal or between the sides in England and all that and the reason for that in Italy was because they were the only ones that could afford the wages in the in the early nineties and mid nineties so you had a big player in Italy for Inter Milan, and the only place, if you wanted to sell them, the only place you could sell them was within the league to Lazio or AC Milan event or something like this, because that was the big league. Now it's England. So you were sitting there on 200 grand a week, 250 grand a week, and the only place you can go is within England that'll, that'll um, 
uh, that will pay our wages. So we're seeing an awful lot more of transfers between bigger clubs uh, in England to kind of FFP and to kind of cook the books or to make things work, to fucking move things about, etc., etc. So I, I think he's got a real problem. I think that's I think Pochettino's got a real problem in, sh- in shrinking that squad down the way he normally likes it. Um, because lads are on big dough and they're not going to want to go and fellas kind of get into a like I wouldn't say a root root is probably the wrong word lads get into a kind of a routine where they're not playing they're living in London they're making big money and saying right this isn't too bad and yeah Romeo Lavia must be having the time of his life Mm. (laughs) he doesn't have to play he gets paid a ton of money yeah so it's uh Far here, he says that uh, Julian Laurent, the journalist, says that uh, Pochettino applied twice for the Chelsea job. The first time was when Tuchel got sacked. So, I mean, yeah. I guess he's mm. just a, a sadist. No, I th- no, no, it's not. Because the thing is, it doesn't matter if you if you get sacked by Chelsea. If you're a manager and you get sacked by Chelsea, you're just joining a long list of top-class managers who've been sacked by Chelsea. It doesn't And Frank Lampard. Doesn't ma- and Frank Lampard. But it, do- <laughs> it doesn't hurt their careers. You know, if you get sacked by Liverpool, it hurts your career. You get sacked by Manchester United, I mean, older Manchester United, it would hurt your career. Now, it doesn't. But if you're Chelsea, it's just par for the course. And the thing is, eventually, a manager will go into Chelsea and will get their transfer spend right. And you want to be that guy. So I understand why he took the job. I don't understand why he took the job without a proper director of football in place. And without a clear plan of buying players to play a certain way, it looked like they bought young young players for every position on the pitch, except number nine. Yeah. I just find it fascinating that for you know the hardest thing in the world in football to do is score goals. Is there's plenty of good sides out there that can set up to be defensive, that can be organised and make life difficult for you. And have decent seasons, might qualify for Europe. And uh, look at Aston Villa. Aston Villa are that club. You know, they'll they'll play well, they're organized, they'll do all right, and they'll get into Europe on the odd time. And they're delighted with life. If you're Chelsea, uh, the the ambition is always going to be, well, ever since the Rom- Roman Abramovich came in, is to win the league and at a base minimum get top four. That squad, when they assembled it, is just not capable of it. It's just there is no way in this world that squad is good enough to compete to get into the Champions League. It's too young, it's too inexperienced, it's too naive. And for all the flicks and tricks and everything like that, they they don't have any in product and they don't know what to do when it goes wrong. And it's the the thing is this all this all started a year ago. And a year on, 12 months on, I said it before we started the, the show. It, it won't carry on forever, but it's been 12 months. 12 months and three managers later, they're doing exactly the same thing. Tuchel was playing games and being dominant and creating chances and couldn't score. Potter was doing the same. Potter was playing with 65, 70% possession and looking really good and creating loads of chances and couldn't score. And Pochettino is now in the same boat. So you have to ask yourself, what the hell is, what's the common denominator here? It's mm-hmm. the guy who buys players doesn't know how to build his team. He doesn't know how to build a squad. And yeah. the longer it continues, the better for everyone. But at the end of the day, that club is not far away from having a massive is is massively good. It's going to massively implode if they didn't have the release valve of being able to dump players off to the Saudi league when they fail at Chelsea. They would be shitting bricks right now. They should be shitting bricks right now. But the fact they've got that release valve in their back pocket for this January and next summer makes them think they'll just keep buying until they get it right. And it, and it, yeah, doesn't, it, does, it, does, it doesn't get any easier for them anyway. I just had a look there. They've, they've Spurs, Arsenal and, and City in the next six. And another two games thrown in there at Fulham and Brentford. So London derbies as well. So yeah, it's uh, They've had quite a Quite a handy oh, fixture list. It's fucking. It's mad. Our wash is over the season. Bridge. <laughs> His after after City, they've got Newcastle, Brighton, and United. Like yeah. it's that's why I put this comment mm. from Robert McGuire. Their next two league games are massive for them. Mm. 
they've got to they've got to take three points from both Fulham and Burnley, and they're both away games. So you know, not a total walk in the park, even though you'd expect they would, because after that, maybe maybe home to Brentford, but I mean, they play outside of us, and I guess United, you know, the top six, top seven teams in the league. So. Yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. I thought this time it would be different for Chelsea that maybe they'd actually let Pochettino have a rebuild and be okay with having the results be poor, but I think the results are just too poor. Mm. Like they're just they're just too poor. And Brian O'Halloran had this one here, and again, it goes back to the opposite of what Brighton is doing. Is they got rid of way too many experienced players. The Madrid Derby had Rudiger, Azpilicueta, and Kepa in that team, and you know, Brighton made you know, sure that they had but... some. Yeah, but you got know, to you, gotta, you you have to have some experienced players in there. And I mean, if the oh, yeah. the story that I read was true, was that the rule at Chelsea was over the age of twenty five, won't sign you. We just won't sign you. You know, and that's that's a very baseball thing. Yeah, I mean, Todd Bowley owns the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are having another fantastic season, but it's a totally different ball game. Like mm. it's foot football is not baseball, and you cannot run a football team like you run a baseball team. So. Uh, I think this won't be the last time we'll have Chelsea or Maurizio Pochettino as a loser of the week throughout this season. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. But we're just about done here. Coming up on the hour real quick. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Please hit the like button if you can. If you're listening to it afterwards, rate it, share it, all that good stuff. Please help us with our charity partner, the 12 Dublin women running the Dublin City Marathon, raising money for breast cancer awareness. We're getting close to the end of the line here for this. They, of course, then have to run 26 miles to get to the end of their line. But if you can help us out with the fundraising, the link for the GoFundMe is on any of the LFC Day Trippers social media accounts or anything good like that. But I think we got a couple minutes left. Let's do a little bit of quick fire. Kev, give me quick fire, winner or loser. Bruno Fernandez, winner, because that was so cool. As much as I hate him and I hate him, that was that was a special finish. And you know, hats off, credit to him. It's yeah. I'm just gonna go and wash my mouth out. What's up now? <laughs> That's bad. Devo, give me one. Uh, oh, Alison, what a save! Uh, yesterday, a nil, nil. Um, yeah, nil, nil. Uh, absolutely fucking out of this world. And we're lucky to have him. Might very well be the best Premier League keeper of all time. Fucking yeah. class. I saved this one from Owen Burke because it does deserve to be mentioned. Quick fire winner of the week, yeah. the Miami Dolphins for putting up a 70 spot against the Denver Broncos yesterday. 70 points, 10 touchdowns. That's that must make that, that must make John Payton a, a loser of the week as well now. Because that's that's not gonna end well with Russell Wilson and him. I do not think. Oh, it's not good. Kev, you got another one? Oh, winner of the week, Casa Simicas. Costas, useful <laughs> Costas Simicas signing an extension at Liverpool. You're, no, only, you're, only, you're only winding up Chris Brack now. I know. But no, look, in all, in all seriousness, you have to have a squad with players like that because he doesn't complain. He doesn't moan. He knows he's going to play. He's not going to play on a regular basis. And when well he does liked. come in, well liked. yeah, and well doesn't liked. cause a problem in the squad. And you can, you've seen it at other clubs where the backup player, Gets the huff and gets the hump when he when he's not when he's not playing and starts leaking shit out of the dressing room to agitate for moves or anything like that. He does none of it. He bought he's bought into everything. He's done everything that's been asked of him. Technically, yeah, look, he's not the best left back. We know that. But at the end of the day, God loves a trial. So constant success. Yeah, Thor the dyslexic polyglot. Uh, I mean, this is probably an oversight on all of our parts here. Loser of the week, Mikel Antonio. Uh, the stats that he said more words about Liverpool. He said twice as many words about Liverpool as he had touches in the game. And David Moyes has now lost to Liverpool more times than Mikel Antonio touched the ball in the game. Yeah. No, it's, Which it's... is... I thought I thought I thought Joe Matip was excellent. Actually, I thought he manhandled him, which yeah. I yeah, didn't think, did. which, I, which is a sentence I did not think I'd be saying. Um, yeah, yeah, I thought Matip absolutely manhandled him. Was there a good side? I think uh, Paqueta could have been yeah, a winner this well. week. Yeah, he he was absolutely sensational. He gave well, even for that money a man the match for me you now. Yeah, even that one point where McAllister and Sabasly were trying to close him down and he nutmegged Sabasly mm. and then Rainbow flicked it over McAllister's head. Like, oh, holy shit. Really good player. 
Yeah, it's it's probably too bad for people that like watching the beautiful game that he's probably going to get an absolutely massive ban for uh, what <laughs> is hanging over top of his head. Yeah. But I think that's just about enough for one night. So thank you, Dabble, for joining us. Thank you, Kev, for Cheers. joining me. I'll be, be seeing you on Wednesday, I believe it is, Kev. I mistakenly yeah. said Thursday, so I'm glad I checked the schedule. Liverpool play Leicester at, uh, what is it, quarter to eight. Irish time on Wednesday in the League Cup. We get another competition started, so we'll be there for full-time Reds afterwards. But this has been your winners and losers of the week. You're all winners for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.